<laughs> what are you doing over there? Well, it sounds like it could have been the alternative uh, Hawaii Five O theme. Yeah, but a little groovier, a little yeah. bluesier than uh, than the Ventures. But yeah, the British band, the Zombies, as we kick things off on episode ninety-five of the Brian Oak Show, where we remind you it is twenty-twenty, citizen. Don't forget that Thursday is Mask Washing Day. You don't want those things getting filthy and foul. I don't know about you, but I've I didn't like the smell of my own breath pre-COVID. No, and I really don't dig it. And I'm a coffee drinker and a cigarette smoker. I find myself going, "When did I eat onions last?" Oh, and it turns out we're always eating onions all the time. <laughs> Thursday is mask washing day. Uh, my name is Brian Oak. This is the Brian Oak Show. It's being recorded here in the Smart Start MN Studio in South Minneapolis, very near to 48th and Chicago. A beautiful, a lovely area. Even though the seasons are clearly changing, today is Thursday, the first day of October in the year 2020 and when you're thinking man there's never been a year like this and that's certainly true but quit saying stuff like that because every time you say that <laughs> then it's murder hornets or yes. it's ballots in the river or yeah. what, whatever the case may be <gasps> amoebas that eat your brain in Texas and those existed before but now they're much like everybody else who's filled with hate and awfulness they've just decided it's their day this is my 2020 the year we finally started to recognize the potency and amazingness of brain eating amoebas and you notice that it's attacking a red state that's not right <laughs> I, that's well, that, terrible that is terrible to say but also it's um you know it's um it's a conspiracy, right? I mean, it's obviously it's obviously a left-wing conspiracy. Antifa has introduced these amoebas into Texas. Um, I kind of want to get into it, but I don't really want to get into it. So I'll, let me just ask a couple of very basic questions. Did you watch the debate on Tuesday night? I did. I watched the whole thing. So did I. Where, where at the end there were on my couch there were little spots where I was white knuckling it the whole time. I don't yeah. know if I've ever been. Both more uncomfortable, more irritated, and more frustrated at 90 minutes of televised anything in my entire life. Well, but I went into it with the, with the expectation that that was going to happen. And, and you know, I don't think you can blame Chris Wallace because he's dealing with a petulant child. And so, you know, what they should have done is just they should have known ahead of time that we need a mute button. Give them one warning mm-hmm. and then we're muting your microphone because you are an idiot. Well, any, I mean, you and I both come from a long career in radio. Mute buttons are in every single room attached to every single microphone. (laughs) But precisely. And, you know, I mean, this is, of course, we've never had such a drunken warthog for a president before. (laughs) But so you you, you haven't needed one before. And I got to admit, I felt really bad for Chris Wallace because if there is anybody who's got debate team yes. written in his yes. DNA more than that guy. I don't know who it is. No. And I say that having been a guy who was on the speech team, all right? I'm, there's no I disrespect too, yeah. intended. But a newsy journalist like that who's made a decades and decades-long career is like, oh, my God, I'm going to moderate an actual goddamn presidential debate. And one of them comes up there and acts like the sophomore wrestling guy who had <laughs> too much to drink at lunch, you know? And, and it's, and again, nothing against wrestlers. I'm, I suddenly am fearing that our guest today, John Munson, may have wrestled at some point, being as... Uh, I don't, it says Miles Davis. I don't know what that means. <laughs> his sweatshirt, although athletic-looking... Oh, go ahead and bring John up. His, his sweatshirt, although athletic-looking, does say Miles Davis on it, which is somewhat dichotomous. Well, that's my wrestling squad. <laughs> the, 
Miles Davis wrestling squad. Yeah. yeah. Coke fueled, but with plenty of explore, exploring the space. Exploring the space. So I felt bad for Chris Wallace because, I mean, this is a guy who's like, oh my God, Robert's rules of order. Like, I mean, the, the, there is a structure to a debate. There is a fucking contract about how a debate is supposed to work. He is at the pinnacle. There is not a more important debate in the modern age. He's worked himself there, and then he has to deal with that absolute dirty diaper of a fucking <laughs> just situation. And it's how awful. I, I feel worse for him than I'd almost do for the American people, except that there's so much at stake and things are so upside down and on fire right now. It was a shit show. So all I'm doing is consoling myself with looking forward to next Wednesday's vice presidential debate. Oh, yeah. When Kamala Harris is going to make mincemeat of Mike Pence, if there's any justice in the world. The good thing about Mike Pence and there's only one or two I can think of <laughs> off the top of my head. One is he seems to shower regularly, but two is he does seem to have some adherence to order and decorum, and so I'm hoping that he'll at least obey the rules, and even if the stuff coming out of his mouth is pure fiction, I just I, I have a feeling he won't bulldoze Kamala Harris like Trump did to Biden, and if he tries... You're fucked, buddy. You bet. You had better know your opponent before you walk into that ring. I'm tweeting B-I-B-T-J the entire debate. What do you think would have happened if the moderator had been a woman? Because I, my, I, oh. I, I, I actually thought that it would have been much more under control. You think oh. so? I think, I think, I think Trump is intimidated by women, and I think if a, a if it would have been a female moderator. He would have he would have responded to the entreaties to to kind of you know tone it down. Wow, that's a really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Do you think that? And do they have any women scheduled to moderate in the upcoming debates? I'm trying to think who it would be now. You know, Megyn Kelly or whatever. She she did her little turn, I think, doing some of that work. But um, I don't know. You know, I wish Judy Woodruff was like a, a you know ten years younger. I, may, I I would expect that she could do a good job. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. I don't know who it is. But I feel like some female energy in that room. I think would have would have embarrassed Trump enough to moderate his behavior. Well, and that that's a very extreme example there. And I think that to uh, you know springboard off what you're saying right there as we focused the last few episodes here on the Me Too Minneapolis concert that went down at the Hook and Ladder. Um, a little more female influence in just about every situation seems like it would be a beneficial thing these days. I think so. Yeah. But here we are in the meantime, three middle-aged white guys hanging out about to talk <laughs> about music. Uh, John Munson has been in a bunch of bands that I've loved and continue to love. And I realized as our, we were talking here, getting ready to go, that I've been listening to his music for at least half of my life, if not longer, which means that he's been making music for, mm, I don't know, a good 12 years now. So. <laughs> We're going to talk more about the latest musical effort, as well as lots of stuff that he's done over his career. And what's it like to be a popular, I don't know, musician, uh, rogue, uh, <laughs> man about town, man about town in the age of COVID. We'll talk about all that first, but you know, with all the madness of the world, the just unbelievable upside down surreality of that debate, I've decided that every time I hear a good piece of music, I'm going to lose myself in it. Music to me has always been better than drugs, better than drinking. You know, whether you're sad, upbeat, happy, whatever, everybody's a music head knows there's music for every occasion. But in this day and age where we're not only taking it one day at a time, we're taking it an hour at a time because it's just such 
craziness right now. There is nothing wrong with a three-minute vacation. And when I heard this yesterday at the record store, I immediately went over and pulled it off the turntable the second it was done, and I bought it because I had almost completely forgotten about this incredible Welsh pop band from the late 80s called Darling Buds. And they are exquisite, and I'll let them speak for themselves. Here's Darling Buds on The Brian Oak Show. I mean, they sound like the primitives. They sound like so many good bands from the late 80s and early 90s. And I had completely forgotten about the Darling Buds. And all of a sudden, you know, you just, you're flipping through records, flipping through records, flipping through records. And boom, there it is. I'm like, oh, well, let's put this on. Let's see what this sounds like. And it turns out it sounds like fucking magic is what it sounds like. I love her voice. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it's weird to me. Maybe you can explain it as a professional musician. Why? And this is going to sound stupid and basic, but it's something I've always wondered. Why, unless you're in like Sleaford Mods or Flogging Molly, why when you're European or Scorpions, I guess for that matter. Okay, (laughs) There are a few exceptions to the rule, but why when you have a very powerful accent by our American ears, when you sing, the accent goes away? I I always wonder that, too. Sometimes I I wonder if it's um, because... Uh, some of these artists with pretty thick accents are trying to sound American. I oh, mean, like I'm, they do it on purpose. Yeah, you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps uh, you know. I know. I know a lot of the UK artists are always trying to figure out how to make it in the US. 
which is crazy because, you know, walking around like in Minnesota in particular, somebody comes through with a, a good English or Irish accent. I know it. And I hate it. Well, no, it's upsetting. No, it's I'm not. right <laughs> with you. Well, it, it's upsetting, but they are suddenly a superhero. They don't have to be they interesting. They don't, they don't have, have to, to do be anything. good looking. <laughs> they, don't have to, they don't have to do anything yeah. other than talk. Talking to you, Mark Wheat. What? No. <laughs> Do you know what's fantastic? You know what's fantastic is I was going to say that, and I thought, you know what, that's going too far. But thank God for John Munson. John Munson, um, perhaps best known globally. Well, yeah, for, for his time in Semisonic. But you've been in so many bands. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. First, let's take care of a couple of sponsors just to get business out of the way, and then we can dive deep into all the silliness that will ensue. Uh, Smart Start MN. They are the primary sponsor of The Brian Oak Show. Smart Start MN are Minnesota. Original Ignition Interlock Company. These guys basically came up with the the bones, the skeleton, the structure. They came up and fixed something that needed fixing to put something in place. Now, you don't want to get a DUI. They're bad news all the way around, but they still continue to happen. So, you, someone you love, someone you know, finds themselves in that situation, you're going to lose your license. How do you get it back faster than you otherwise normally would with ignition interlock being installed in your car? Yeah, go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. They'll give you 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock, and they won't shame you like your mother-in-law will. Mm, I was going to say they're like family. They won't shame you, but family shames on the regular. In fact, there might not be a greater nest of shaming than than uh, than the family unit. We're not mad, Brian. We're just really disappointed. Oof, luckily you're not going to get treated that way at Smart Start MN. <laughs> SmartStartMN.com slash The Brian Oak Show for 20% off ignition interlock installation. We also want to thank Busters on 28th. Now, we always talk about how great the food is, but they really do have sort of a mind-bending selection of wines and beers. They just posted the other day, and see, I've never been a craft beer guy. I... I'm good. You know, I, I just, I was, I've never been a beer guy in general, but people who love craft beer go very deep on it. Or if they enjoy imported beers, there's also a huge selection of those. And now that the seasons are changing, they're changing over from all of their summer dr- uh, beers to their autumn beers. I don't know what the difference is. I'm imagining some of them taste like squash. Uh, there's a, there's it's a, all gourd, there's gourd a rich, affiliated, rich gourd adjacent. Mm. <laughs> You know, I, I would like to interrupt this sponsorship uh, to ask a question. With all of the delicious flavors of the harvest season, why pumpkin? Why why a giant muddy gourd that doesn't taste good and doesn't smell good? Why has that become, why is pumpkin spice not apple spice or cinnamon spice or literally any goddamn other vegetable or fruit than a pumpkin? You pumpkin guy, John? I, 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 once a year. Yeah? Yeah. Pumpkin pie? Yeah, pumpkin pie, Thanksgiving. Okay. I, yeah. But I, nev- I, I, I like my coffee black. Don't give me any, I, I don't want. Black is the I, heart yeah. of the devil, baby. <laughs> I, I just am not down with spicing beverages and things with pumpkin spice. No, yeah. I'm no, not for or, it. or any foods or like p- pumpkin spice Oreos. No, Those or came muff- home recently. No. Oh, yeah. Or muffins even. No, agreed. Wholeheartedly. Thank you very much for that that endorsement, that anti-pumpkin endorsement brought to you by John Munson. However, so I don't know that they actually have any pumpkin spice beers or squash flavored beers, but I do know oh, they're they moving. do. Uh, they okay. do. In the, the, they in general. I'm talking specifically about Busters on 28th, but they do have a wide selection of beers, some incredible food. Busters on 28th.com. If you'd like to order online, get some food, head on in. You can do that as well. All the details at Busters on 28th. John Munson, I thought about a big dramatic intro for you because I've known you for a long time and I've seen you play so many damn times, uh, lovingly, so not begrudgingly. I would like you to, in chronological order, tell me every musical group that you have been a part of. Go. 
Uh, I'm talking early shitty cover bands, too. I mean, every band, but they got to have a good name. Okay, The Fix. The Fix? F-I-C-K-S. Yeah, more than one Fix. Got it. Give us a year. For the band, that would have been 1981, I guess, or 80. Probably 80. And then The Particles. Uh, new which wave? was like new wavy gravy kind of thing. Fabulous. Uh, yeah, the particles. Yeah, the particles. <laughs> uh-huh. Playing a little, p- little party band. And actually what's funny about the particles is because of the particles, the particles led, an, I, 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 my drummer friend Tim Rao and I answered an ad um, uh, to for, for this band. And it was, it, we were St. Paul kids and the band was located out in the Western suburbs. But at that time, I was driving at a car, and so we loaded it up, and we schlepped out to, uh, you know, Hopkins, I guess, is about the area. And we met the people that, for me, led me to all the connections that I made thereafter. It all happened through this guy, Dave Pinsky. And Mm. Dave Pinsky was the keyboard player in The Particles, and he had played in a band called The Panic, with a uh, a guy named Jim Harry and Matt Wilson was the drummer in that band. What? And at this yeah. point, you've not met Matt Wilson yet. I had not met Matt Matt Wilson yet, but Dave was like he had been this band, The Panic, had opened for you too at First Avenue, and wow. they had played all these shows. What? Yeah, they opened for you too the first time you two came through the Twin Cities. The Panic opened for him, and if you go back through old um, First Avenue calendars. The Panic was playing like every weekend. They were a high school band, but they were, you know, they were they were really they were really effing good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were such a good band. Matt is an amazing drummer, which is something that a lot of people don't know about him. Is that's kind of where he came from was uh, as, as a drummer, and he was smoking hot. And if you're going to be a rock band, you need a, a smoking hot drummer. And then the <laughs> guitar player was really. He had all sorts of ideas, and he was a he was a, he could crank out tunes. And then they had kind of a hot singer, you know, who had like named with the name Barry Shake. Which is just like, <laughs> are you kidding me? That's his actual name before smoothies. Yeah, but yeah, Barry Shake. Barry Shake. Yeah, Barry Shake. That's and, Barry eighty three, eighty four, right there. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> un- unbelievable. Uh-huh. And so. Uh, anyway, Dave Pinsky was the keyboard player in that band, and and then he joined the Particles, and then the Particles. Everybody went off to college or whatever, and um, and Dave was like, "Hey, you had to meet this guy Jim Harry," and so we started this band E Brown after that, and we had a drummer who was like real primitive. He basically played, he played a. You remember that instrument called a snare? which was like a, it was just one it was like a black uh disc that you hit with a drumstick and it would, would go like boom <laughs> and so every drum every drum pattern was like <laughs> but it, it was it was kind of weird but also kind of cool but eventually the guitar player who had been the guitar player in the panic he ran out of patience with it, and he said, <laughs> he said, my buddy Matt is coming back from college, and he's going to join the band. And I was like, whatever. And then that's when I met Matt. And Matt Matt joined E. Brown, and we made a record called The uh, Annunciation, I think it was called. And, and um, 
And we played a bunch of shows at First Avenue because Jim and Matt had cultivated all these connections with First Avenue. So, you know, that that was kind of my introduction to the club. The first show I ever went to was the night that Jim and I went down and handed our test pressing of our first record to Roy Freedom. And he played it over the dance floor um, before the Duran Duran show. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, and it was it and it was the first time I'd ever been in the club ever and I went straight to the DJ booth, gave Roy Freedom a record. And you know what the the amazing thing about that story is? What? The last time Semisonic played at First Avenue, which was like a, a year and a half ago or whatever, a year ago, Roy Freedom came down into the dressing room. And what do you think he had in his hand? That demo? That uh, it was a test press. Test pressing. Wow. Yeah, and he gave it back to me. What? How cool is yeah. that? Roy. Wild. So cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And Roy is a, he's a gem. Do you, uh, do you know Roy much? He, I don't know at all. No, I mean, like, by name and by mean, reputation, clearly, yeah, but he, I don't was, know Roy. You know, he, was, he, was, uh, he was Kevin Cole's partner up there in the DJ mm, booth right. at First Avenue. And then later, he became a mail carrier. And I think he, he's only recently retired. And he also is a, he's also an usher at Williams Arena. Really? And he, my dad is in his section, and so whenever I go to a game with with my dad, Roy is there kind of showing us to our seats, and it's just, it's surreal and awesome, because uh-huh. he was like a god, you know? He's like a, he was a, he was a big, a big deal dude, and the fact that he played our first test pressing at First Avenue, and we watched people dance to that, you And know? this band we're talking about right now is E. Brown. E. Brown, So right. we're, we're talking, you, Fix, First, F-I-C-K-S, for people looking for the early stuff on Discogs, Particles, E. Brown, and now you and Matt have met. And the interesting thing there to me is that without your previous drummer's shit choice of gear, you might not have met Matt as early as you did. Uh, It's it's possible. Okay. It's possible. But, I mean, Uh, there's no way to rewrite the days, right? This is how the story's unfolded. And the the thing about it was is is, uh, Jim, uh, the guitar player, and and E. Brown, the, the songwriter and singer, um, he loved Matt and, and, uh, and, and actually Jim's mom was a, a dramaturg at the Guthrie and she actually cooked up, she made the, the, um, Christmas Carol. That's her, that's, she's the dramaturg for that. Wow. That Charles Dickens thing. Just, hmm. the, and, and she spoke incredibly highly of Matt and like how creative and wonderful he was. And then I met him and. You know, he's like a complete nut at, at that time. <laughs> right. I think he, he'd come back to the Twin Cities with the purpose of just dr- drinking as much beer as he possibly could. He was just a wild partying animal, which is a great place for a drummer to be, actually. But then this other part of him, uh, he went back to Harvard um after a year of doing E. Brown. We hadn't like we, we, we were the, the goal was like international superstardom in a year and if not i'm out and so he went back to harvard and he started writing songs and i heard some of these demos that he was sending back of the his band the cratchit family and they were amazing they were just so they were they were really unusual and his his, he had had a couple of first forays into songwriting any brown and he didn't know how to play guitar or anything yet so it wasn't really working but this stuff that he was doing out in Boston was really magical. So during that time, um, after E. Brown, I was in a band called Fight at the Zoo. If we, are we going to continue this? 
This, hell yes, yeah, please. Okay, there's more bands. I mean, but I, I knew there was going to be a lot. I didn't. I didn't know that we should have broken this down into a series of podcasts. Like coming up this week, we do a deep dive on E Brown with John Munson, and then what was the next one? What zoo? Fight at Fight at the zoo. Fight at the zoo. Yeah, and that was a really fun, <clears throat> pr- kind of proggy. Um, band that I that I love. Fun prog or interminable prog? No, it was it, no fun. It was very. It was super fun, nutty prog. Um, I I think kind of you know Primus would have been uh, Primus Red Hot Chili Peppers would have been an, an, an analogous to what we were doing. It's know, interesting as a bass player. I'm sure you have a better perspective on it than I do. But you, what you just described there is a band that I love and a band that I can't listen to thirty seconds of. I love Red Hot Chili Peppers. Primus makes me wish that I was listening to. Pat Boone versions of Primus songs. <laughs> I can't stand no, Primus. It's, nu- it's nutty. It's super nutty. And, uh-huh. and, and his kind of, uh, his lyric approaches, I'm not really down with, but kind of the nutty ar- arranging right. and the lots of stoppy, starty sh- gear shifting and right. stuff like that. We, we, we kind of enjoyed some moves like that. And that, that group actually included um, a guy named Chris Beatty, um, who then later went on to a form beat the clock and oh, they, yeah. they played a ton of shows around the twin cities. And he, he's, a, he's an amazing musician. He's still doing music. So many of these people, you know, it's really amazing. It's so many of the people that I was in these bands with, they're still doing it. They're still making music, which to me, is just like, for me that the reason to do music the, like the what what was always in the back of my head was like uh, if I if I just hang in there I'll get to keep doing this mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that's the joy of it you know it's all I ever really wanted was like the opportunity to make a next record to try again to try and do it better and and make something cooler so just for the sake of I didn't really know that we were gonna like I love where we're going right now but just because we are do you mind if I switch the order of your songs a little bit because what I'd like to do is get a song in here real quick and since we're going chronologically we are going to talk about semisonic getting back together not to mention worldwide super smash stardom but also your latest uh, Munson Hicks party supplies but since we're kind of in the early days can we hear a little trip Shakespeare right now sure that would that would have been the next thing that happened actually and we'll talk about it right on the other side of this song so tell me about I mean, because we'll get into where the band comes from and how this comes to be. What What about this song right here? Like I said, pick anything out of the entire Trip Shakespeare catalog, and you said swing. Um, I just it's uh, it's bass solos, right? There's like five bass solos. That's a pretty exciting bass part. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's all, all three of us are singing. We're all kind of trading around um, singing. The the lyric is really fanciful and wild in a in a Matt way. And it's groovy and fun. That's it. That's it. All right. John Munson, our guest on The Brian Oak Show. Here's Trip Shakespeare.
bomb sequence in the belt she took. Then, then, then the child angels that made up her train. why from the very first time I heard them when I was, don't take this the wrong way, but I believe I was a teenager the first time I heard Trip <laughs> Shakespeare. Um, I was nearly a teen myself. Precisely. Um, <laughs> the thing that hit me early on is that this band was obviously very talented musically, but they weren't like anybody else. And I know I say that about a lot of different people, but those are the things that I've been attracted to in my life is, is bands that don't sound like anybody else. These guys were very good at music without sounding like a bunch of whack-off know-it-alls. Um, I, and yeah, I, you know exactly what I mean. There are some bands that they're... Primus. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, there's so many chops, you know, that you lose. And the same thing with like a hardcore band. If, you, if you're just loud and fast, I need a melody in there. There were always songs at the heart of your songs. I love how brilliant the lyrics are. But perhaps the greatest thing is as the 80s turned into the 90s, I too became a young man who grew my hair down to my waist and wore blousy pirate shirts that were open down to between my... Well, where my pectoral muscles would have been if they'd ever developed. Um, and, you know, necklaces, things like that. Big I had pirate. the Scott Weiland chin box when I met my wife, and she was like, she's like, hey, um, do you do you always have that uh, thing? Or, Honey, I'm waiting for a call from Alien Ant Farm. They, <laughs> exactly. they might need a replacement singer any minute. Um, and, but I, seriously, like, I was doing the pirate thing myself, long, curly, oh, flowing yeah. hair, uh, big earrings, and when I looked up at that band on stage, I'm like, if only I had any musical talent, charisma, or ability i could be in trip shakespeare but i did i I always i always loved trip shakespeare so do we go right from fight at the zoo to trip shakespeare in your lineage your musical lineage yeah pretty much okay pretty much and and uh and are the guys are the guys at fight at the zoo bitter to this day i mean they're like not only did we not get to be in semi-sonic we didn't get to fucking be in trip shakespeare well actually the drummer did was in trip shakespeare for a short time yeah well he couldn't he 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 kind of was he played percussion he had gone out. He had. He's the guy I saw in the video I was just telling you about from 1986. An early incarnation of the band is in a studio somewhere. Yeah, and it's like a, it's like a, a cable access show. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And 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 it was Matt and Elaine and I, and then Tim was playing kind of timbales and and gongs and uh, and other stuff. And it was 
it was um it didn't work no. i mean it was it was just it, it, it i and i just re- i really wanted to figure out a way to continue doing music with him because fight at the zoo had been so fun but he had basically shipped out to san francisco or new york or something and so basically the band had broken up at that point, which, you know, was really heartbreaking because I loved that band. I loved that band. It was a girl that was involved also that that, it, that there was like a competition for a woman, which it, it, it's just is true. Right. And he ended up marrying her. And, and I was I was broken hearted. Wow. Um, mm. And was, he were talking about Tim. the yeah, Tim, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, so, yeah, that that was a that was a, another piece of that particular puzzle but i would have been very happy to just kind of like put it all behind us uh, all behind us and have him be in the band but he just couldn't he and matt couldn't get along right too many drum minds in one operation <laughs> basically a band of all drummers yeah <laughs> except yeah, for you yeah, right exactly exactly <laughs> we got a little uncomfortable sometimes uh-huh. but yeah so then the next the the you know uh tim tim split and then uh and then i went to china and we had after we had finished recording Apple Headman, and while I was in China, I got a note from Matt, and it said, "Hey, guess what? I called up my brother Dan, and now Dan is in in Trip Shakespeare." To which I was like, "What?" I, I was like, I was t- actually terrified because I was like, "This is going to be go bad for me." Why? Why for you? Because it, two brothers, I just felt like I oh. wouldn't have any say anymore about anything. It, it turned out not to be true at mm. all. It, it was. It, it was having Dan join the band made it much more real and, and thick Matt, Matt at that, you know, it wasn't, he hadn't developed his guitar thing that much. And Dan kind of, he knew how to play guitar in, in a way that Matt didn't. Why did you go to China? Um, because I had gone, um, I'd, I'd gone with my parents, uh, to China, uh, the year before, and and it was you know 1986. China was just really opening up. Did you do you speak Chinese? What was the original I, motivation I, for you I, and your family? I, 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 uh, my dad was uh, he's a scientist. Okay, and um, uh, he was doing a research trip, and he said, "Do you want to come? Because this would be an interesting experience." And uh, and I, I, he he was like, "I'll get you your ticket, and you can kind of figure out the rest on your own." And and so I did it, and it was. Uh, amazing i just it just i'd never been outside the united states before right china at that time especially was such an alien culture and it just blew my mind i came back and i took uh i took four years of chinese language study after that mandarin mandarin yeah and it uh can you say something awful about sean in chinese again <laughs> I, I really like you did on the, Twitter the other day, I, I, you I, son I, of a bitch. <laughs> I never learned how to swear. All right, that's fine. Yeah. So you go to China, and I don't doubt for a minute that it's it's you know like going to a, basically another planet because the culture shock has got to be unbelievable. It was unbelievable, but it was really a shock. What was really okay? So 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 I came came back after studying for a summer there in in China. Um, and, uh, and, and Applehead Man came out and, Ooh, Applehead Man has Pearl on it, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I love Pearl so much. And, mm. and, and, uh, and, um, and, and, and things just like happened so fast at that point. I mean, just is it, 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 suddenly we're, you know, suddenly we're playing like big shows. I mean, what felt to us like big shows, we we're selling out the caboose and, 
uptown and then first avenue and and it uh, it all just started to happen very very fast and then you know we're kind of on that that uh you know heading towards that brass ring of like the record deal and all that stuff you know and it was it was fantastic it was so great and so it moves along and it's trip shakespeare and it is all starting to grow it's starting to swell what year are we talking about right here like i mean when you feel like you're at that critical mass where it's about to happen are we talking 88 87 88 89 it got real and and uh, and, uh, and that's right about the time we got signed and you know we we're touring the country we we're touring all over the place and very persistently we were who signed you uh, A&M. Okay. And, yeah. and was, I, you know, we've all heard the stories and of course sort of the, the, the nineties are where the dream dies a little bit and people are like major labels suck and people start going to these mid levels, but it was, it's still always been the dream. If you, if you can get signed to a major and they're willing to put their muscle and their money behind you, I mean, that model pretty much has died now, but for the longest time, that was the bit. Had you arrived? Was it, was it caviar and limousines and uh <laughs> well it, 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 you read jake's uh jake selector's book if you want to understand how the record company works i'm not yeah. telling you that because you know so you but, want to be a rock and roll star is a great book yeah it, it it really is it tells you a lot about it and the 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 champagne the caviar and that stuff is all fun until you realize that you're paying for all of it yep. that's that's money that's coming out of your marketing budget and and uh and and they're paying top dollar for it without any regrets because they know that's all just getting charged back to your it's account. all yours you know yeah. that giant advance we sent you you're spending it faster than you could possibly imagine yeah certainly pop but faster than you'll ever make it back exactly know? um and and that that is the thing about record companies that's the that's the horror and and you're, you're it's the kind of commodification of art is is real tough you know um it's not it is not pretty and it's not for the faint of heart and you have to let go of certain illusions and and the number of of business people who can really interface successfully with artists and and uh, uh, and really deliver on the things that they say they'll do is vanishingly small you know david geffen basically okay. that's it you know i don't i mean I, 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 it's 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 you're you're just kind of the bean counters kind of come in and take over and if you're not delivering on the numbers that they need you to you know you you're going to you're not you're not going to make it in that in that realm and they make decisions very quickly yeah about in spite of the fact that they're like we're going to stand by you we view you as something that we're really going to develop and develop and it's like hey, you did not develop fast enough. The first record really didn't do what we wanted it to. <laughs> right. Goodbye. Yeah. Well, and that, and unfortunately, that's the story with more bands than it's not. I think that there was an era where they're like, we're going to ride this artist or this band out for three records and yeah. see if we can't build them up to what we want. And in some cases, it really worked. Um, yeah, I've recently been falling in love with 70s era scorpions, which is a night and day different animal than 80s era scorpions. But I mean, you know, they were they they were allowed to be a smaller tier band before they became an international A tier band. So how does before we get to a song here, by the way, a new song by Semisonic, which is awesome, by the way, we have so much ground to cover and not enough time to cover it mm. in as brief a way as possible and as in diplomatic a way as possible. How does Trip Shakespeare come to an end? I think it just, um, we had really invested a lot and especially Matt had invested a lot into the creation of Lulu and we were 
such a good live band. Uh, and we basically cut the whole record live in the studio, you know, so we were trying to kind of get the best of both worlds. We wanted the really cinematic sound of a studio, but we wanted the energy of the live thing. And, and we put the record out and very shortly after that, um, Nevermind came out. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, um, when Matt saw the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit for him, I think he, he felt the writing was on the wall. It was just not the time for a group like us to make this very Baroque thing. And Matt was very, he was more sensitized, I think, to some of those types of issues and maybe the rest of the members of the band on some level. Uh, he's a, he's a incredibly creative cat, but he also has a real nose for, for, you know, timing and yeah. things of that nature. And, um, I, I think he, he, he felt like I, I need to make a, I need to make a move here. It's not, this is not going to work with this, with this band right, right. now, yeah, which is a bummer because I feel like the alternative explosion that defined American popular music in the nineties I mean, it, you know, it was built on the structure of college radio of the 80s, right? Of bands specifically like Trip Shakespeare and, you know, Husker Du and R.E.M. And, and the Smiths. I mean, there were these bands that were the staples of college radio. And then there were all these other bands that were the glue that held all that together. And that just, that had been building for so long that suddenly it crossed over. And it happened to take a loud, chaotic, uh, anti-establishmentary form. But I don't know. I mean, I feel like there would have been room in that world for, for Trip Shakespeare. And, you know, but there are a lot of other songwriters, too, that I feel like maybe are, and don't take this the wrong way because I mean it as a compliment, too smart for their own good. You know, uh, and, and, and uncompromising artistry. I think that your songs were too complex in Trip Shakespeare, you know, for, for I mean, they weren't three chords and a howl, you know. I mean, and, and there was a lot of that. That was what became to define the '90s, and I think that's what you're saying about Matt. Is just saw that this this was divergent. Uh, and and you know, I mean, Matt, Matt's vision is very. It's really very romantic. Mm -hmm. You know, on 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 a lot of different levels. I think I think if we would have, I think actually, I, I I've thought about it quite a bit. If we had hung in there, I think we would have had a really long career. Yeah. If we could have found a way to kind of ride ride it out. But it just wasn't in the cards. Yeah, and Matt had some Matt had some other stuff that he wanted to explore too. I mean, when you listen to his and and you know, to be perfectly honest, if we had written it out, Semisonic never would have happened, and Matt's uh, you know solo records never would have happened either. And and both those are wonderful things that happen. Yeah, you know. and Semisonic does happen, but not before first you and Dan and Jake uh, form a trio called Pleasure. But it turns out there was already a band called Pleasure. I think the first time that you and I talked like this face to face on microphones uh, was right after the Pleasure Semisonic transition. You came into a little radio station I was working at called Zone One Hundred Five, and it was first thing in the morning, and nobody <laughs> knew who the fuck Semisonic was. Nobody knew who they were. All three of you were there, and we didn't really have a proper recording set. So we just sort of bent some microphones over to your side of that tiny little booth. And, of course, this wasn't a drum kit situation. Someone the night before, if I'm not mistaken, when Brad Savage uh, had eaten pizza, there were empty pizza boxes in the um, oh. garbage can. And I believe Jake played the pizza boxes that morning for <laughs> uh, for percussion. That sounds right. Yeah. I, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, and you guys came in. You couldn't have been nicer. And I've seen you a bunch of times over the years. So, I mean, does Semisonic start out... I, I, 
How does that signing process work? Are we already well-established enough that we come out of the gates with the big push behind it? Or how does, why does it work for Semisonic and not for thousands of other hopefuls? Um, well, I mean, uh, Dan, Dan had a lot of songs. Um, and, and uh, you know, uh, Dan's voice and as a songwriter had been pretty limited and, and uh, Trip Shakespeare, um, because I think Matt, saw himself as the main songwriter and didn't really, wasn't that interested in Dan's songs. Right. So Dan had this big backlog of ideas and songs and Dan and Jake and I started to give shape to those ideas. And they were, Dan is a, is a, is a rocker. He likes to rock, you know? And, uh, and so we made demos that were, pretty kick-ass and pretty rocking yeah um and then we contacted some of our friends at labels that we had uh that we had um developed during um during the trip shakespeare kind of signing frenzy we kind of reached out to some of those same people and they were like this isn't these songs are amazing this sound is amazing and we want to we want to sign you you know, and it, it that happened very, really quite fast. Uh, the thing, um, coming out of Trip Shakespeare, we had hung on to the, everything got divvied up. You know, basically all the various elements of the band got kind of shared around. And we took the van. And so we started basically touring the exact same circuit that Trip Shakespeare had been touring previously to just kind of like figure out how to be a band together. So we had these songs. We figured out how to be a band together. We started going to the same places and kind of advertising the fact that we we are here, we exist, and and we want to rock you. Well, and clearly it worked. I mean, we got the first EP. <laughs> we got Great Divide, which is one of my favorite. It's probably in my top ten Minnesota releases of all time. Nothing against the the, the you know feeling strangely fine. All about chemistry. These are great records. Great Divide hit me at a certain time in my life where it is. It's just one of my, my absolute favorites, and, it, and my mind will never change. But then, of course, comes... <laughs> the, the, well, because, I'm like, I like it that you're just honest about it. Yeah. I, I will I, never change. I look, feeling crazy <laughs> fine. I mean, it's got singing in my sleep on it. It's one of the greatest love that. songs yeah. I've ever heard. That secret smile. <laughs> but as so a complete good. work, I love Great Divide. I mean, we don't get to pick what we fall in love with, right? No, no. And, and it's, got that, it's got that thing of, like, it's that first burst of, of tunes, and I, I mean... I certainly, I was in love with it, you know, and I still love it. I still love it. You yeah, know? and it doesn't mean I don't think you grew or got better or conti didn't continue to make great music. I just, you know, I don't love every album by every band, any band. And there, there, yeah. are, there are sums that stand out more to me. Like, I like Parallel Lines more than I like Auto American. No Sorry, need Blondie. to apologize. And I'm not apologizing. <laughs> in fact, I'm I like saying that. fuck you to everybody who thinks I'm wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not saying that at all. I just like having a format where I can say it. Uh, and then then. Come Comes the hit, which I want to talk about next, but but this is the area, the era of your career and your life that I think is probably the most well documented. So therefore, I want to spend the least amount of time on it because you've gone on to do some other incredible things post Semisonic, uh, including this thing you've got coming up tomorrow night at the Hook and Ladder. You and another Minnesota singer songwriter, Dylan Hicks, have got a whole new album of material coming out tomorrow, Friday, October second, a streaming special from the Hook and Ladder, who we know well here at the Brian Oak Show. But Semisonic has 
you know, Semisonic went away, and then Semisonic has been back here and there for very... But then you actually got back together and did a whole damn album together. Well, we did the, did this EP anyway. Right. Yeah, I'm calling a, it an album. Yeah, okay, call it an album. It looks like an album. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a 12-inch album. Yeah, it is. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean... Well, there's I, only five I, songs I, in this. Where are the other songs? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And when you spin it, it goes around way yeah. too fast. That's not an album. It's going around way too fast. But it's an EP, and it's called You're Not Alone. What happens, because I want to hear a song off of this thing, and I want to hear why you want to hear this one. Um, well, it actually, the reason, the reason that I wanted to play this song, Basement Tapes, is because it kind of speaks to... Uh, that that it speaks to the moment when Trip Shakespeare became semisonic, and the 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 it, it it it's it just the lyric is all about that. Well, let's go ahead and hear it. This is and how long it had been since the three of you sat down and recorded something new? Twenty years. Okay. Oh. Wow, the first new semisonic in twenty years. This one's called Basement Tapes. It's on the Brian Oak Show.
turns out you guys can still play and write. Wow. I'll give you that. That's fine. Fantastic. <laughs> That's newish semi-sonic, and by newish, I mean, what, did that come out just a couple weeks ago? <laughs> I mean, if it's got to be newer than that, then fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> People are raving about it already on social media, like they're going, <laughs> then fuck you. <laughs> I do love you, John Munson. I'm so glad you agreed to be on the Brian Oak Show today. Is this um, going out live right now? No, 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 it's no, not. no, no. I wish, I wish, no. But we would then we would just then we would call it the Tree Fort and we would just do this all day, <laughs> every day. No, we're recording this in advance, but it will be going out this afternoon in plenty of time to help promote an event you have coming up tomorrow, which we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, but first, Sean, you're a realtor. Tell me why I should buy a house from you. We should let John know that I'm one of the sponsors, so he doesn't think you're just oh, talking about me as a realtor. Just change the topic to realtor. <laughs> Sean Bernard. This is way more fucking interesting than this other bullshit about bands, this Brian. Is, this is great. This is great and everything, Munson. But I would really like to hear about prime mortgage rates right now. Exactly. Hey, the rates are really good right now. Oh, by the way, Christ. See, I hate that I even have to ask you. But Sean is a sponsor of the Brian Oak Show, for I which am. I am grateful. And you sell homes for Edina Realty. Yeah, I help people buy and sell. Uh, why do you? choose me i don't know i've got a little bit of empathy and i'm not a a money whore i guess can mm. i say that as a sponsor I, I, well I, you just did i like to help people out i uh typically i donate a portion of every sale to the warming house uh venue on 40th and bryant they're looking for a new location but i will continue that also everybody gets a one-year membership for two to the warming house when they buy or sell with me the market's still pretty hot uh give me a call back or give me a call in general 612 859 2594. That number is also text worthy. Very good. If you want to even get the process rolling, even explore the space, as hmm. it were, both literally and figuratively. John Munson, so you at this point <laughs> have had a career. Now we're talking about su success with Semisonic. We're talking closing time happens. And then you continue to put out really great records. But of course, I'm sure at that point, major label pressures and given the already changing nature of the market throughout the 90s and the changing nature of the business, there had to be a tremendous amount of pressure to make another closing time, yeah? Well, I mean, a, 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 for, for Semisonic, that was, you know, that, that was, uh, that was, uh, that spelled doom for us, really. I mean, it, it, and that it was. Which is wild. You had a hit. You had a fucking hit. Looking, and, and not like a, oh, regional boys done good hit. You had a fucking hit. Yeah, and that it, spelled doom for your band. I mean, on, on some level, it, it really did. I mean, it, it, it is strange. I, I don't, I, I mean, maybe the writing was already on the wall in some ways and, I guess that was 2000 uh for the record industry I don't I don't know I I um but you know th there there was a point really the the truth of the matter though really is it kind of unfolded very in a very similar way to uh Trip Shakespeare because at as we were finishing up um all about chemistry Dan said I think that's it I think we're done. Wow. And, uh, and, um, and, uh, and I think the, you know, I want to do something, I want to do a solo record next. Um, and you know, um, it was, it was, it was definitely a little deflating, but it's also, Dan is very much, um, he's a, he's a pure artist and he, uh, and, and the one thing that you know about artists is that they are going to move towards the thing that they, um, think will afford them the opportunity to make something beautiful um and and one of the things about artists is is um that they need to do things very much on their own terms 
and uh and that was where he was at and so that's what happened and that and and you and you just accept that if you're if you it's like if you're working with artists that kind of stuff is going to happen and and you'll part of you will be confused but another part of you will just go like of course yeah and so you you part as amicably as possible i would imagine i mean you're still friends all these years later no no that there was never there, there was, n- n- it was never anything less than completely amicable. Okay. I mean, and, and there was never, there was never a point where it was like, we're done or anything like that. It was like, the next thing I want to do is not, is not a semi-sonic record. Right. And I think part of it was because, you know, a lot of the, um, uh, of the pressure of dealing with the record companies and dealing with management and all those aspects of doing music, which are real. Any ask any musician, mm-hmm. you know that stuff is those. There's a there's a host of decisions that are being made to make anything happen. You know that are not fun decisions. Right. They're like, is this even going to be possible? Kind of decisions, and it's 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 not a joy. A lot of that had fallen to Dan. I think he was sick of it because the 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 money was a lot and the pressure was a lot, and he was just like, I want to be free of of this. And also because of some of the feelings, I think that we weren't really very appreciated at MCA. Right. And to be honest, <clears throat> fuck those people because they didn't have shit. I mean, we're getting pretty technical at this point, so right. I don't want to lose people. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, when you say they didn't have shit, see, to me, this is the fascinating stuff because people get to watch your video on MTV and people get to see you on a talk show or on a variety show or hear you on Howard Stern, but they don't understand the practical realities, I think in large part, more and more in this day and age, probably, but they don't understand that what it's like. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people sitting in cubes on the phone. That's what the record industry is, all right? It's not cocaine parties every night were there ever cocaine parties there were cocaine parties fantastic news i knew it i knew i was being lied to um but i but, not that i attended no of course not um it's, but i mean there's going to be some of that but largely it's a business so when you say they didn't have shit does that mean they just didn't have your back they weren't putting the resources into making the band what the no, band could they, be they they, they 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 did what they they did what they felt they could right i think and but but um the label just really didn't have a lot of artists. Right. I mean, that was the, the, the MCA is known throughout the, at that time at least was known throughout the, the record business as a music cemetery of America. Oh my. Yeah. Um, and, and <laughs> uh, semi sonic. Yeah. Right. Inside <laughs> yeah, baseball. Right. I know it's, it's, uh, it's it, it, it was kind of a joke, but it was kind of, it was kind of true. They couldn't sign anybody because, you know, I mean, you you are old enough to remember this, and it's weird to think of it now. But there really was a time when it was like, "What's what label is this record on?" Oh yeah. Oh, if it's on Electra, I'm gonna give it a try because they had a uh, A and R staff that seemed to have you know be clued into what was gonna be happening next, uh-huh. and that's why Sire, for example, was so cool, and that's why Geffen was so cool, and why different labels are so cool. Um, and MCA did not have a reputation of finding great people. In fact, had a, a had a, a a reputation of getting artists hung up in deals that they just couldn't wait to get out of. 
you know, a time thing of Tom Petty in particular, you right. know, he's just like, I, you know, working for MCA by Leonard Skinner. It comes from something. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, in another song that could be written is fuck those guys. They didn't have shit, uh, which I also <laughs> like very much. John Munson, we don't have a ton of time left, but um, obviously, so Semisonic comes and goes. You uh, never quit creating music. And in fact, you find your way, since we're still going through the lineage of John Munson, you find your way back to Matt. Now, I don't know if you guys continued to talk over the years, if you remain fast friends, but at some point, the two of you begin, I mean, because you've been in, we aren't going to have time to go do a deep dive on every one of them. Yes, you're in the new standards, but, you know, as the flops and the twilight hours, you and Matt have found a way to make music again. Well, we did anyway. Um, we're, we're kind of taking a break from one another right now, which is which is fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have to do it every once in a while, and just kind of like you know, certainly Semisonic did for a long time. It was really fun to get back to get back together after twenty years. You That's know? crazy. That that kind of thing actually can happen. Um, yeah, Matt and I did two records as the Twilight Hours. It was very fun. Um, you know, in and, and you know, we went on the road and played shows around the country and and did different things like that. Would have been nice to have it develop more, but you know, it was very satisfying musically and fun to do. A, a, a somewhat, um, you know, Matt is very, um, uh, uh, generally speaking. Although I have to say, his most recent record happened pretty darn fast, but he's generally a very meticulous worker. It takes a lot of time mm -hmm. to develop stuff. So I would have liked it if we would have like put out twice as many records in the time that we that we had. But whatever. Given the intensity of some of the songwriters and other artists you've worked with, do you ever feel a kinship with Derek Smalls of the band Spinal Tap? <laughs> uh, other than That's just the mustache nice. factor. That's <laughs> nice. Listen to this. He's coming. For no, Sean, wow. me. What Sean, I meant in that you—he's you our guest. No, you are—you are sort of the the affable, quiet, calm center who also can play the shit out of that funky bass, you know. And you—you you don't think I can't play Big Bottom either because I totally—I know you can. I've I was, got an eight-string bass. Yeah, well, don't think I don't. Fretless eight-string bass um, that he plays behind his head. Uh, no, I just mean you know, like you're kind of the calm, still center. Not to say you're not a creative madman in your own right, but you. Work with people who the, the the label artiste could could adequately describe. Do you think that's fair? Uh, yeah, definitely. Okay, I, 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 I because I love it. I, because artists are the most amazing people, and and uh, to get to hang out with with great artists and great songwriters and and great musicians is is my fondest dream. It's all I ever wanted to do, and it's what I'm getting to do with my life and. So I feel very fulfilled by that. Let's not forget that Derek Smalls was also the composer of Jazz Odyssey, which uh, <laughs> saved Spinal Tap in the absence of Nigel Tuffman. He's not letting it go. He's just not. He's not. This is usually when we know that we're winding down the no, show. Wait, okay, <laughs> look, here's the weird thing. is I love seeing your face, John. And this was this was an unexpected direction. I expected us to talk politics. It was a new direction. I expected us to... <laughs> the, the new originals. I expected us to talk about life you know, in COVID times and how that's changed everything but i've enjoyed this walk down memory lane and i intend to go look for some early releases by the particles uh absolutely when we're done here i know they're hard to find because i've never seen one but fight at the zoo 
I don't this this archival project that I've done with Trip Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. That's as much of that as I'm going to do. Let's hit, that real, <laughs> let's, let's hit that real quick because there is an archival project. I've been seeing you tweet and post on social media recently. Like I'm probably this weekend going to get myself an Are You Shakespearean sweatshirt because I love wearing it. sweatshirts. So what is this Trip Shakespeare archive and how have you become its spokesmodel? Other than <laughs> other than being from Trip Shakespeare. <laughs> Wow, this is just I didn't I didn't come here to be savage. <laughs> would, do, would you say that's an unfair He keeps looking at me. I wish there was right. a camera in this room right now. He's like, Sean, that's not what a, the that's, fuck? That's not an unfair assessment. Okay. Celebrity it's, spokesmodel. It's true. It's true. It, there's something to it. I, I, I will say this. I guess of the members of Trip Shakespeare, um, I've been the one who's been the most interested in kind of maintaining the legacy of the band. Um, And I'm not ashamed of that. Um, I don't think you should be as a fantastic band. But, you know, because I I think Dan and Matt, um, Dan said to me the other day as I was kind of sharing some something with him and and I was like I wonder why Matt isn't kind of getting more involved in this because it was kind of his deal right you know? right <laughs> um and Dan goes ah you know I kind of get it he goes I've got a really low tolerance for my past and I think Matt's even more extreme really and uh and and I think that people are kind of wired in these ways and I mm-hmm. think some people are just once it's over, it's go- it's done. Yeah. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people are just kind of constantly kind of wondering. And I think I guess I'm in that I'm mm-hmm. in that uh, latter group um, where I'm I'm always kind of wondering about what what it, what could have happened or what what even was it. You know. And so examining it to me is interesting. So um, there was this giant pile of cassettes of live shows. COVID happened. I just started digitizing all these shows and I was going to just put them up on archive.org, which is this amazing place. I don't know if you ever go to archive.org, but there's, they've got a a huge live music archive of so many different bands. There's a a ton of stuff. It's it's fascinating. Go there. And and there's all sorts of old movies and stuff too. And, and I shared that with a friend of mine. I was like, here's what I'm doing. I'm taking all these cassettes and I'm putting them up on. And he goes, what are you doing? That's crazy. You can't just like dump this stuff into some kind of dark corner of the internet. If you're going to do that, I'm going to help you. And we're going to make a shrine. That's amazing and that really celebrates the band in a way that is more in keeping with the people's feelings about it, basically. A lot of people really like Trip Shakespeare and and wanted to, you know, people have kind of been curious about what happened to all those live tapes and stuff. Because some of the old fans knew that they existed. And so now there's this TripShakespeare.net and it has... a. A, a ton of the live shows, but from like 1987 through 1992, even into 93, there's a few shows. Um, and it, it's, it, 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 what it demonstrated to me is we were an amazing live band. Mm-hmm. Some of the, some of the record, uh, some of the recordings of the shows just sound like the record. They're just, they're, except they're, there's all sorts of silliness and fun stuff that happens in the cracks too. <laughs> and then that's um, what people want to hear. Uh huh. I I think some do anyway, and then there's all all these videos and stuff are turning up too. And then now we're kind of in the process of kind of uh, kicking out some some merch and stuff like that too. It's Where do people really go fun. to find it all? 
tripshakespeare.net. Okay, tripshakespeare.aol.net. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't stop myself. You know the problem is I'm over caffeinated. I wonder, <laughs> I, can I tell you? Can I tell you one thing before we play this last song? I, I see you looking at the clock, and I know you, I know you got to go. I would never do that to you. Okay. But yes, you can but tell goodbye. me anything you like. <laughs> but if we could just go ahead and no, by all means, what would you like to say? Well, I I, I know that you you were talking about um, the political <clears throat> times that we're in right now. Yeah, and and uh, I I I listened to the to the uh, debate mm. and found it really very horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that was particularly to me frightening about the debate the debate was the president of the United States calling into question our our system of electing mm-hmm. uh, our representatives mm-hmm. in the form of everybody who's in government. And that is a menace, is a menace to our society. And I am so not down for that. And, and, and if you're an American, you need to get out and express your view and vote and have confidence that the system will work. And any bunk that you hear about poll watchers or voter intimidation, you have to stand up and you have to exercise your right. That is your job. That is your job. On November 3rd, get out there and show who you are. I don't care who you vote for, but you better vote. You better get out there and vote. And and if you say there's no choice, you know what? Work towards making better choices in the future. But there is a choice. And you need to go out and say what your choice is. Now, I think a lot of uh, uh, artists right now are in serious pain. They're in serious mm-hmm. pain because there's so much agony uh, in the country right now because of COVID. Because art requires the ability for people to be together. And I feel like robbing us of the possibility of being together is driving us apart more than ever before. And so I don't see a lot of political statements being made in music and the arts right now. I'm sure that they are, and I'm just not aware of them. But I'm really proud that Dylan and I have made this record, Munson Hicks Party Supplies, which kind of has a fanciful name and it suggests something really light. But there's some really good political writing on this record that Dylan did. And the song Sawtooth um, is is particularly, it's a, call, it's, it's a call to step forward. It's a call to step forward. And we're going to hear it here momentarily. You and Dylan Hicks, in addition to putting this new record together, um, you actually have a release and live stream coming up tomorrow from The Hook and Ladder, who we've done a lot of work with here on The Brian Oak Show. This is, if someone wants to go and check it out tomorrow night, they're like, Friday night, let's see, what are we going to do? Oh, that's right, nothing, because it's fucking COVID. Let's watch Dylan Hicks and John Munson and their new project, Munson Hicks Party Supplies. They can just go to the hook and ladder and get the information and buy their tickets there, right? Yep. And will admission to that particular live stream also get one a copy of this record? Uh, if you buy it. Okay. Very good. <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> exactly. Um, what are you going to go do now, John? Um, I, I, I'm going to have a, a sad meeting. 
um, about a sad subject that I can't go into. Oh, but man. It, 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 my big mouth. Well, I'm glad yeah. I was able to bring things down before we <laughs> said our goodbyes. Uh, thanks for coming in. And my dream is one day to, even if we have to do it all by phone, to get you and Dan and Jake together on this podcast at the same time because I have so many semi-sonic questions having been there and had a front row seat. You were there. And in fact... Having worn a tutu on stage while your band did an electrified version of Dance of the Sugar Plum Perrys at Zone for the Holidays back in the late 90s. I remember. I uh, I did not look good in a tutu no, and a big legs. legs. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> my, my Doc Martens and my tutu. And you yeah. guys bought some weird novelty underwear for us to wear under those things, too. I've got some real questions, and my solicitors will be in touch, Mr. Okay. Munson. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Clearly, I'm working some things out. We're going to let you go, John. Um, but this song right here, when you say political writing, can I, I tell you? I want to tell you what I'm actually going to go do right now. I'm, I you got, said you can't talk about it. Well, I got, I, I'm, 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 the thing that I'm going to do is that's sad is later. The thing that I'm going to do that's fun is I'm going to work on my sauna that I'm building in my backyard. Come on, yes. Now, because we all know the proper sauna thing is once you're done in there, you go, I mean, are you going to have like some sort of like a horse trough or something you can exactly. jump into afterwards? Yes. Really? Yes. That's what I'm going to do. That's like precisely what I'm doing. Come on. Really? Yeah. Look at that. I, maybe I could make my, just kidding. I wouldn't be able to. Are you good at that kind of stuff? Like you're building your own sauna? I, I've had a little bit of help. Okay. Well, Brian and I have an invite to the sauna. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> speaking, absolutely. Speaking of being in, re- in bring your record collection, undress. I've got plenty of records well, to bring. This is all new. This is all new. Oh, this is all new. Oh yeah. Oh, oh boy, we're old Irish. School. So old school. Yeah. A- AKA cocaine parties. <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, good luck building. It's a beautiful day for building sauna. And oh my God, then you're going to have one this winter. Yeah. That's how, a, how are you going to keep that water in the horse trough warm enough to dive into when you're done with the sauna? How do they do it in the mountains? Save, uh, you know, with the uh, animals gone. out on the on the prairie. I think there's like a little rod that you can put on there. You maybe have to break away some ice okay, on the top. Okay. Just don't electrify. Electrify no, right, yourself, no, I'm right? I'm going to try not to. Okay. I appreciate Although, that. Although, you know, there's a... Could be get to a certain time, and maybe it's just like good to move on. <laughs> That's a good good way to do it. Wow. Okay. Well, on that uplifting note, COVID twenty twenty. Don't forget Thursday is mask washing day. Uh, tomorrow it is going to be the Munson Hicks party supplies live stream. Go to hookandladder.org to find out more, to purchase your tickets, and to check out this new record. And um, this particular song is called Sawtooth. Thank you very much, John. Right on. See you, Sean. Thanks, John.
Mostly stuff I never use Old desires barely used Compromises unrefused First navy blazers in brown shirts Then no excuses on the skirts Sawtooth way. 